and uh, to have a project of this magnitude canceled, it's, it's going to hurt a lot of people, a lot of families, uh, a lot of communities. The Keystone is something that we've been trying to build for a decade now, and uh, uh, it's been a, a really hot political uh, you know, fight, uh, but we finally got started on it this year. I was working in Nebraska building uh, a pump station. But, uh, you know, as soon as the, the new administration came in on day one, they decided they want to put 11,000 people out of work. Uh, basically, it was the moment that he signed uh, the executive order. You know, it was about two o'clock Thursday when we were told that we're not going to progress any further. But we took a couple of days packing our stuff up and uh, we actually got laid off Friday and I'll be taking my unemployed self back to Arkansas in the morning. Because of the situation the country's in right now, uh, this is not a time to be making political statements. Uh, we need to be finding ways to put more Americans back to work, not the other way around. Uh, so I was, I was very surprised. More good-paying union jobs will be created in the context of the climate and infrastructure work that we have before us uh, than uh, has been impacted by other decisions. So for those workers, the answer is somebody else will get a job? The answer is that we are very eager to see those workers continue to be employed in good-paying union jobs, even if they might be different ones. It's not that easy, you know what I mean? And I don't consider this a job. I consider it a career, and you spend a lifetime, you know, fine-tuning your skills and, and advancing yourself. And you go start another job, you're starting at the bottom and trying to work your way up. And we're not talking about men and women that are just out of high school, just starting out in life. We're talking about people that have mortgage payments. Uh, they got kids to feed, insurance to provide. Uh, when you start over in life, uh, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Uh, I doubt these politicians uh, would like it if someone told them to go start over and find a different job. Right now, the the numbers of jobs are, are thousands of jobs. There's there's Michaels, there's Precision Pipeline. Um, that would have affected that the pipeline was going to be constructed. Um, the actions that were happened recently, we were doing station work. There's hundreds of guys that got laid off. What was that Tuesday? Are any live in Wisconsin? Yes, a lot of them live in Wisconsin. Yes. That's an important point to know. Less than 24 hours in, Biden's already won in the Keystone Pipeline. For all you liberals out there, I don't think you quite understand how dependent we are on oil. You might think it's just something we can stop using, but it's not. Next, he's gonna go out to fracking. What happens if we ain't producing our own oil? It means we gotta buy from somebody else. It's all in their hands then. We'll put hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people out of work. Raise the price of our gas for what? Ain't no point in it. Everything we do requires oil. Car you drive, clothes you wear, some point along the process, it requires oil. So for all you that voted for him, softening your gas first, mother. With that, good morning. This is episode 16 of the Pointy Podcast. I'm Bobby. Thanks for tuning in yet again. We are, are hitting the ground running this morning. Uh, I'm going to open up first with a couple of sponsors. Well, maybe not sponsors, but hopeful sponsors first. Uh, Black Raffle Coffee, of course. I've talked about them before. Your freshest, most American cup of coffee you're going to get. And the beauty is you can set up your prescription. Never have to worry about buying coffee again. And it just gets delivered straight to your door the week that the bean was roasted. It's a beautiful thing. It's a great product, great people doing it, and it goes to a great cause. Most of their um, proceeds, or maybe not most of the proceeds, a good chunk of the profits go to um, veterans organizations, law enforcement, and first responders. My personal favorite, I get the whole bean. It's a medium roast called Five Alarm. That one goes to supporting firefighters and uh, organizations that help with the families and things like that. It's a beautiful thing. 
Um, check them out, www.blackriflecoffee.com. No sponsor or promo code to give you right now, but uh, I would encourage you to try it out and uh, then listen to some other podcasts centered around that company, maybe something called Drinking Bros or Free Range American, things like that. They might have some promo codes for you. Uh, but the first, I guess, real sponsor I want to shout out at y'all uh, is going to be Cross and Musket Apparel. Now, this is a t-shirt company I've started a little over a year ago. Uh, wow, probably well over a year ago now. Getting old. Uh, and right now, what we're really trying to do with the t-shirts is just anything that you want to throw at to support the podcast um, I've been hesitant to ask for sponsors, obviously, uh, until I really get a, a good listener base. Um, and I've been hesitant to send y'all to like a Amazon, uh, wish list or anything like that. If you want a cool way to support the podcast, support what my wife and I are doing, um, with our companies, which is just to, to promote unity and, and given a voice back or given, given the, um, the courage back to the average American to use their voice in a positive way to, to fight for whatever they're passionate about. It doesn't have to be politics, but that's what we're, we're pushing things towards personally. And cross and musket apparel is just part of that mission. And we use the apparel company to help with the podcast. Uh, we, we give some of that money is uh, uh, the proceeds to different organizations that we'll talk about down the road. And we really just want to do a lot of really good, positive things for the community and for the country through the apparel company. We've got uh, three designs, two really key ones. One, give me puppies or give me death. I love that design. It, it was one of the first ones I came up with and it's just cool. Uh, whenever we sell at trade shows or things like that, people loved that one. And then the other one, I'm a friend of God. The t-shirt, it, it says it all. Uh, it's a great shirt to wear. There are tri-blend t-shirts, super comfortable, top of the line. If you're buying t-shirts from any of these companies that are uh, you know, selling you a $25 t-shirt, um, they got a podcast link to it or whatever, a lot of them are using these tri-blend t-shirts because one, they don't wrinkle real fast. Two, they wash up super well. And they're just, they're they're soft, they're comfortable, they're, they're great to wear around the house. So we've gotten to the point right now I'm wearing one of my own t-shirts. Uh, so we love our the, the t-shirts. So if you want a, a cool way to support the podcast, but you get something out of it, Cross and Musket Apparel is the place for you. Uh, right now, I, I would point you to Instagram, Cross and Musket on Instagram, and uh, you'll see our t-shirts on there. You can purchase it, uh, I believe, straight through Instagram. Uh, we don't have the website going right now because we're trying to keep things pretty low-key until uh, we really decide, all right, it's time to time to blow this up, you know, um, which is is coming this year. 2021 is going to be our year, and I hope you'll join us for that mission. Uh, as far as a promo code goes there, um, use the code INSTA, I-N-S-T-A, and that should get you, I believe, 20% off. I, if, if it is not already set up, I will set it up to do that. I'm going to take that note right now. And note taken. So that uh, promo code Insta will give you 20% off of uh, Cross and Musket Apparel. So yeah, if you want to sh support us, support the show, that'd be a great way to do it and you get an awesome t-shirt out of it. Moving on, uh, we've had a lot of news this week. Um, predominantly, it's been what is Biden doing with his executive orders and things like that. He's already just slammed us with a bunch of executive orders. Don't even have the time to start going through that list, but I would encourage you uh, to, to look that up, see what language he's using in each one because you're going to see a lot of mingling of healthcare with economy using covid as kind of like a almost a loophole to insert healthcare into the economy and to establish like a federal interest in how the how the country is doing uh, as far as the healthcare and the economy goes linking those two together though we'll talk about that it leads to some some questions, uh, to say the least. A key one, a uh, key executive order that Biden issued was the executive order promoting the Buy America agenda, which uh, I like. You know, he's going to be encouraging and strengthening the requirements about uh, government agencies purchasing from companies that create their products here in America to, to promote. Um, yeah, to promote buying America first. I think that's a great thing. Cool, whatever. Um, 
He wants to close loopholes that allow companies to offshore production and jobs while still qualifying for domestic preferences. You see a lot of that with like Apple, where they do a lot of their manufacturing over in China. You've seen the videos of people freaking committing suicide over the new iPhone, but then they assemble and design stuff here in America so they can get around some of those um, import importation taxes, I'm sure. Um is it possible for them to create things like iPhones here in America? Sure. But your some thousand something dollar iPhone is going to skyrocket in price because of many of the healthcare issues and some of the labor requirements and all how expensive it is just to have an employee here in the United States. Um, you don't necessarily want your employee assembling widgets here stateside. You want them to do the design work and the consulting work because that's where the real money is per hour. As much as I love this Buy America agenda, it doesn't seem to really transfer uh, in mentality from, you know, what we would call electronics or steel or whatever it is. It doesn't translate over to oil because as we've seen already, as you saw from the videos or heard from the audio from the videos, um, Biden took swift action to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline, which is uh, pulling the oil from um, Canada to be manufactured here in the United States and to be used. And, of course, Canada was pissed off. Uh, Trudeau got on a call with Biden pretty quickly. And from what I heard, it was uh, obviously he wasn't happy about it, but obviously they're still going to have friendly relations between Canada and the United States. But it strikes me as extremely hypocritical that you can promote a Buy America agenda right when you come into office, but at the same time, with the other hand, literally cancel 57,000 jobs, 57,000 plus. That's just the pipeline itself. That's not even the ramifications of now oil is about to get more expensive. And what sucks, what really pisses me off about this whole thing is we there's not it's not like Walmart and Amazon and your local grocery store and whatever if you want to buy a pack of gum you've got 58 options of where to buy it at within you know a couple of mile radius of your home that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about oil and you've got very limited options of where to get oil for fair prices and when you close down one of the key factors that was making America a leading if not the leading energy exporter in the world, now you've taken a benevolent key player out of that market, and now we're left with the options we had before, which which are essentially our enemies, people who hate America, and they can control the market as much as they want, and essentially they can declare war on a country just by adjusting the market rate of a barrel of oil, a barrel of crude, and so... Yeah, buy America agenda, that's great. But when it comes to the world's most precious commodity, sure, let's let's start buying from the oil oligarchs in the Middle East and in Russia. That it makes absolutely no sense. It's hypocritical and it's why I think it's important for us to maintain a watchful eye on the situation because this is really where Biden's hypocrisy, I think, is going to get called out a little bit. Um he went into office promising unity promising a a swift um, correction for our economy, which COVID-19 has just laid to waste. And one of his first actions is to kill tens of thousands of jobs and to make literally every single product that is already expensive in the United States even more expensive because the cost of oil affects literally everything. So uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, But now you've got the states pissed off. And you're going to have the states fighting back, just like they're fighting back on his executive order about the borders. Uh, Texas, New Mexico, uh, I'm sure Arizona is going to be in there. They're going to be fighting uh, to keep these these oil jobs going, the oil production and, of course, fracking, which Biden, I haven't seen him yet take an, an action on fracking uh, specifically, but you did hear him during the uh, during the. Um, what was it? The debate. I think it was the first one maybe the second one where he admitted on the debate live in front of America that he would be um, shutting down fracking and that he would be uh, restricting fracking and imposing a lot of uh, EPA guidelines and restrictions on fracking. And Donald Trump saw that exactly for what it was. He's like, people, are you listening? Um, Texas, are you listening? 
he, he's, he's declaring war on the energy sector. And, and this is, I've got no problem with wanting better. You know, there is better out there. That's like people clinging to, to Windows 10 or whatever when there's better options out there. You know, sticking with a simple PC text editor instead of using Microsoft Word. Um, so I get that argument, but the problem is, and you can see this with any business, any, any place you've ever worked, if you wanted to enact change, it's like, Hey, I think this would be a better way to do this. You don't just turn off your previous process and then start setting up your new one. That's not how it works. Cause then you get that lag time, that downtime. What you do is you test and you, you make sure the new option is viable and affordable, number one, for the people who will be essentially stakeholders in that new process. I mean, if that, that new source of energy is going to get me to work or not, I'm a stakeholder in that essentially in a way. Um, obviously I, I don't like using the term stakeholder because, you know, then you start getting into the, the field of stakeholder capitalism, which we'll talk about. Um, but we have at least a vested interest in the price of energy and that energy is going to feel my ability to get to work and make an, a, a livable wage to feed my family. Uh, as soon as that energy gets more expensive, well, I got a problem with that. And that's where we're at. He is shutting down one form of energy in favor of clean, renewable energy. I get that, you know, wind, solar, hydro, I'm sure. Uh, notice they never include nuclear nuclear in there because, oh, I don't know why. Honestly, it's another another form of hypocrisy, I believe. Nuclear is the cleanest and most um, efficient form of energy out there to power our lights and anything that runs on electricity. If you want to start having electric cars running around everywhere, which I am not against, I would love. I'd love to own a freaking Tesla. They're beautiful, they're powerful, and they're efficient, and they're, they're, it's a great innovation. But where we're at with electric energy is it is still, the technology is still too expensive for the average American. We don't have enough power stations all over the place. Now, here in Texas, they're making huge strides with that. I mean, just my local HEB grocery store, there's like 10. And there's Teslas all over the road here. And I love that. It's great. I love seeing the innovation. I love seeing the advancement of technology. If I can go from pumping oil that now I'm going to have to buy uh, from somebody in the Middle East or from Russia or wherever it's at, instead of doing that, if I could just plug my car in and charge it up like I charge my phone and get back on the road, that's beautiful. I love that. That's sexy is what it is. Damn. But it's expensive right now. And it's not going to get cheaper by overly taxing and crippling the oil industry. I mean, people aren't just going to suddenly jump ship from oil to go to electric just because you make oil so so expensive or so difficult to get because electric is also expensive right now. And so you they've got to really harness the creativity and the the passion of the Elon Musks of the world. People like that who are really trying to not just make a Prius and like, okay, here's a piece of shit car, drive it, but it's electric, so don't hate us. They're actually trying to make a good product that runs on electric. And that's what I want to see. I want to see a good quality product that's got longevity to it, just like we see with my F-150 out there that's 11 years old and drive, excuse me, drives like a champ. I want to see that out of an electric vehicle before I go and invest my money in an electric vehicle. And so, so that's where I'm at personally with energy. Um, you know, there's options if they want to get very efficient energy with nuclear, but the left, they're always very against nuclear energy. Um, why? I mean, they would say it's more, um, not expensive, dangerous. Sure. I mean, yeah, you throw the word nuclear out there, fine. But just like anything, it's, it takes innovation. It takes effort. And right now we're putting all the effort into, I mean, you saw during the Obama administration, the millions and millions, probably billions of dollars given to solar companies like Solyndra that mysteriously gave a bunch of bonuses to their executives and then bam, bankrupt, out of business, don't exist anymore. And it's, it's a scheme is what it is. It's a 
bait and switch. It's like, oh, hey, solar, that's great. Let's put a bunch of money into solar. Now you feel great about your tax dollars. It's charity day when you pay your taxes. And then we realize it just made a bunch of people rich for a little bit, and then it's gone. And I think that was one of the biggest letdowns with the Obama administration. It's like, if anybody could have gotten a lot of these progressive agenda items passed through Congress, I mean, he, he, he bullied his way through Congress on several things, Obamacare included, but if anybody could have done it, it would have been him. And the fact that he didn't, he still shirked it off and just made sure he played the game, got the right people, people rich. Um, it's kind of a letdown. I would have enjoyed to at least see some effort towards those progressive topics because then we could really have that debate in Congress. Do we want this to happen or not? And the American people can make a decision, but that's not what we got out of that administration. And I, and I guarantee you it's, I don't think we're going to get that out of this administration, regardless of what we've seen here in the first part of his first term. I think Biden will flip because when he and people like you heard Buttigieg say that they're going to create good, good paying union jobs, that's what they wanted. They used that phrase over and over. You know why they used that phrase over and over? It's because all the unions loved Trump because Trump was bringing jobs back to America. So to combat that, the Buttigieg's and the Bidens and the Harris's and probably even the Clintons out there had to use those terms, good paying union jobs. Well, any, any person paying dues into a union would love to hear that, right? Apparently, because they voted Biden in. Um, and now we're left with exactly who Biden is. Someone who's going to kowtow and he's going to walk over eggshells to, to keep the radical left appeased. The Green New Deal, the AOCs, the, the Agenda 2030s, if you haven't heard of that, will to be complete, re, completely renewable energy by 2030. Great. Let's, let's go towards that. But why use executive privilege to force that down our throats when the technology isn't there yet? And that, that's my question. That, that's what I don't understand. Um, beyond that, though, we can leave that one in the dust. We're seeing some really good stuff coming out of Congress right now, stuff that I have been uh, in favor of for a while and that I knew would get put on the back burner from 2016 to 2020 because there was a Republican in office, and I hate that, but term limits. Um, there was a joint resolution coming out of Congress, Ted Cruz included, to propose, I'm quoting now the joint resolution itself, uh, to pr proposing an amendment to the Constitution of the United States relative to limiting the number of terms that a member of Congress may serve. In short, they want a limit of three terms for House representatives and a limit of two terms for the Senate. Past terms that were that they're already in a term or they've already used a term do not count. It's a clean slate. I think it's fair. I think you, you should get your three terms in the House, your two terms in the Senate, or whatever number they decide on there. There needs to be a limit because now you've got these people, and some of them have been doing great stuff during the Trump years, in my opinion. You may not agree, um, but I think Trump gave some balls to some people who otherwise were cowards. I've talked about that in the, the, uh, the hero episode. And now I think that the cowards are going to tuck tail and run again, just like they always have. But now as we're bringing in this new generation of conservative that doesn't really give a crap about the Republican Party. They want to send somebody to D.C. who's going to do a good job. You know, party loyalty be damned. Um, I think it's important now, more now than ever, um, to, to get these term limits enacted. And I think that that's something, whether you're progressive, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, whatever. Excuse me. I think that's something we can all get behind. Because the, the size and scope of our government right now is not what it was meant to be. It really is not. Back in the day, you know, you go to, to D.C. or whatever and you pass some bills. It's much like it is in Texas now. You have a session of Congress and then you go back to whatever your job is. You know, you got doctors and lawyers and business owners or whatever. Um, and so they, they, they were vested in the decisions that they made because it affected them immediately because they were just average people that were 
selected to go and represent the rest of us. But now everything's gotten so big. This country is so huge. The population is so massive. Now it take it is a full-time job. It, you do have career politicians. And that's part of the problem is because it becomes less about fulfilling the wishes of their constituents and becomes more about just doing enough to win re-election to keep, keep their job, essentially. I would propose shrinking the size of that government to where they can be just normal citizens and then once a quarter or once every other quarter of every year, they go and they vote on policies that we send them to D.C. directly to vote for us on. But they're so detached now. Um, and social media media has helped in some ways. It's made it worse in other ways because now you've got, I would I would call it politics, you know, diet politics on social media because now everybody's so afraid to say something with the right, or I guess you could say the wrong key word, and then they get banned. Um, so it, it's just it's a really weird situation we're in. But I am happy to see that we're talking term limits again. We talked about him the eight years Obama was in office and nothing got done. I really hope something happens here because, again, this is something we can all agree on. Right or left, it doesn't matter. I'm tired of these old farts just camping out in D.C. and not doing anything that we send them to D.C. to do. So that's a good thing. Let's hope that that uh, results in something. And then if it doesn't result in something before 2024, let's hope that if a Republican is um, elected in 2024 that the Ted Cruz's of the world and those still keep up this fight because we need to be sheltered from overreaching government from both parties. And that's just a fact. Uh, the other thing I've seen some action on that you, I, everybody needs to be watching very closely is net neutrality. Uh, we have a new FCC commissioner who believes in net neutrality and tougher regulation on large media companies. Her name is Jessica Rosenworkel. Oh, I probably butchered that. I am so sorry, Jess. Can I call you Jess? I don't know. Jesse? Anyways, so net neutrality is one of those topics that for me is very difficult at times to understand. Sometimes I'm like, okay, yeah, net neutrality, I get it. But it's not, it's not how the media presents it in many ways. Because the way the media presents it is it's anti-monopoly. They, they don't want these big media companies, uh, ISPs, internet service providers like AT&T and Comcast um, to just have free reign and they can raise prices whenever, whenever they want because internet is becoming a utility. So now you got your energy prices per you know megawatt hour or whatever. You've got your water usage that you're being taxed or, or you're being charged a certain rate depending on what type of a city or town or municipality that you you receive your utilities from uh, co-ops we have a lot of co-ops here in texas um but now internet is is they're attempting to make internet something like that where now you've got a, a rate per gigabyte upload or whatever and that they and they want to essentially level the playing field so whether your grandma who's just playing you know, freaking canasta or solitaire or whatever, pinnacle, shout out to my mom, uh, on in the on the internet. Well then, does that necessarily need the same level of bandwidth as somebody who's doing Twitch streaming, you know, or live Facebook videos or online gaming? The answer is no. Or just watching Netflix. And that's what it boils down to is you've got people like Netflix who are able to use up so much bandwidth because of what they're doing. They're streaming high 4K, high quality, high definition video and audio. And that requires more bandwidth than just playing cards. And so net neutrality is seeking to treat all internet data the same. And, and I'm going to let Mark Cuban here. This is a short two-minute video with Mark Cuban talking with uh, radio TV host Glenn Beck about what is net neutrality and why is it, quote, terrible. So listen to this. This is super important. This affects everybody's life. It's not inconceivable, and I would tell you that someone will sue and it will become likely that they'll say you have to combine all that bandwidth together. So if you're getting 100 to make it easy, um, 
six megabit channels um, of HD. That's six gigabytes. That's six gigabytes if you say, you know what, you can't just deliver all that um, for television. We want to open that up to the internet so all the Glenn Becks and Blazes can deliver their over-the-top video in an equal manner. Now all of a sudden you have 6.1 gigabits available in this example. You have to fracture it to everything. Yeah, and it's just open internet. Now all of a sudden your traditional television, um, and so if I'm getting Blaze on my big bad cable you know, provider, might start buffering. And I probably need new equipment in my home that maybe oh the gosh. government is gonna force you to buy, but it gets worse, right? So now if all video delivered could be perceived as television, right, because it's all in the same pipe, Bits are bits. No matter what anybody says in government, no matter what any technolo um, technologically savvy person says, bits are bits. They don't care if it's text, data, or video, whatever it is, it's just a bit. And you have your pipe that's allocated in different ways, you know, through a lot of different uh, mechanisms. But net neutrality at its base says all that data should be delivered together and no one should have priority. So if there's no priority for television and it's just part of the open internet and delivery, your traditional television watching the evening news, it's over. It's over, right? So that's, that's net neutrality in a very compact, sim simplified, not oversimplified, but yes, very simplified nutshell. Um, and essentially you can view it as like a pipeline, whether it's plumbing or you could, you can even see it as a, as a highway. Uh, here, here in Bernie, Texas, we got a new section of uh, I-10 West, east-west that, well, one, it's been in, under construction since like the 1700s. But part two to that is that what they did is they they opened up three lanes, and then they put in a a shorter fourth lane that is a carpool lane or you know a high occupancy vehicle. So it's got to have more than one person in there, and what that does is that encourages carpooling. And so now you've got everybody sitting in traffic in the regular lanes, but if you've got several people in your carpool lane, well, then you can you can take advantage of this wide open lane that nobody else is given privilege to, and that helps with traffic flow. See the internet in the same way. If you are trying to buffer um, or to download a, a Netflix show, and you're having to compete with everybody out there who's uploading photos to Facebook, everybody who's FaceTiming with their grandma, if you're having to compete for that, well, now all of a sudden it weighs down that top bandwidth user and now everybody's buffering. Now everybody's seeing lower internet speeds because the people who don't need the higher bandwidth are receiving it all the same. And that's a problem. More than that, though, like that's the, the retail side of net neutrality that from the consumer side, it's just bad. It's, 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 it's bad business, you know. Um, but then the other side of it is, and the, the scary side of it is if you start thinking about podcasts and you start thinking about the internet as the public square, you know, we've got language in our constitution that talks about inhibiting freedom of speech in the public square. The internet has become that the internet is the last frontier when it comes to freedom of speech. I mean, just look at me. I didn't have to ask anybody to create this podcast and to speak my voice. And free market principles tell us that nobody has to listen to my podcast. You make a conscious decision. I market it to you. You see a video or a, a meme or whatever it is. And you think, oh, I'm going to give it a try. You listen to an episode or two and you decide this guy is actually, well, yeah, he's pretty smart. Or you decide this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And I'm not going to listen to another episode. And that's how it works. That's the, that's the freedom of the free market principles that are instilled in the current internet. The problem is that is going away because, well, one, you've seen how social media, these big tech companies can use their power of influencing search algorithms and uh, results. If you search, is Biden an idiot? They can effectively, literally manipulate your search results. They aren't right now because everybody would flip out. But they're using these social media companies to stifle freedom of speech for dissenters, people who don't believe the way they do. And we saw that already this year, especially with the Trump uh, Trump accounts. Um, beyond that, 
we see net neutrality as an arm of the government reaching in to what I just described as the wild, wild west, the last frontier of freedom of speech. And so now, you know, you can't watch something on TV that's got nudity or that's got foul language. You've got censoring and you've got blurred out images or you've got just cut out scenes, obviously less now than there used to be because they have to compete with the streaming platforms that are subscription that don't have to follow FCC guidelines because it's behind a paywall. And so when you put content behind a paywall, now the consumer has to make a conscious decision to subscribe to that content. So now the government has no place. The government can't come in and say, hey, you're not allowed to show that because you've just proven that there's a consumer for it. And what's the government going to do? It's the internet. They can't regulate those bits, that data. Net neutrality inserts just a little prick into that armor. And the government is able to get its little prick into just the functioning of our media. Just everything we stream on our Apple TVs or on our Rokus or our smart TVs or on our, our laptops or iPads. All of that content is free right now. Free, not dollar-wise, free as in freedom. Um, but you start injecting the government into there and it's going to become less and less free. Some things might become cheaper because now you've got anti-monopoly language put in there where now you're going to start having price uh, ceilings that the government will enact. So that's going to be great. But the quality of the product that you're paying for is going to be worse. And I guarantee it. Because what we've seen since the net neutrality argument started, they were saying that, oh, AT&T and Comcast and all these people are going to start price gouging and making it so expensive to have all this, all this uh, internet access. And what we saw was the exact opposite. We saw faster internet speeds for cheaper prices. The internet speed I've got right now is a, a pretty basic package from AT&T. Uh, and I only have AT&T because my apartment complex makes me. Before that, I had Spectrum, which by the way, Spectrum is freaking awesome. You call AT&T and you might get somebody who speaks English, maybe. You call um, Spectrum and... You talk to somebody who sounds like they're talking, like they're down the street from you. Like it's just a normal person that you get to talk to. They're cool. I loved Spectrum customer service. And you can use promo code at spectrumtv.net. I'm just playing. Um, they are not a sponsor. Uh, so this brings to me the, the question, where is the government's role in regulating media? Where does it start and end? Uh, I don't have the answer to that because that is, it's, Obviously, in, the, in a world of post 9-11 um, security concerns, we saw what happened on January 6th. Where is the government's role in seeing that and predicting bad things where then they can step in and keep bad things from happening? It doesn't necessarily equate to more freedom. In fact, it equates to less freedom. But that makes sense because what we're seeing out of the left is... Stop worrying about your freedoms. Start worrying more about security and safety. And that that is a scary thing for me. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second when we start talking more about the Great Reset. Um, but some encouragement I did take. So the outgoing chairman, Ajit Pai, who was a man, he, he, was, he was a warrior for freedom of speech from within the FCC. Uh, he says that he believes that all that are still currently involved in the FCC, which I believe it is a five-person um, committee, and they are appointed by presidents, and so you'll have conservative, you'll have more liberal. Right now, I think it's at a 3-2 or something like that, where the the Republicans still have a little bit of power in there, um, but Biden would soon appoint a new one, and then that would tip the scales more to the liberal side of it, which is you know what we're worried about. But right now, Ajit Pai, who just left, uh, he says that he currently believes that everybody involved still shares a commitment to the First Amendment, and he's optimistic that they will stay the course. Uh, he, he used the term market-based objective decision-making. And that sounds good to me. You know, if the market says this is good for people, let the market continue doing what the market's doing. The invisible hand of the market as, um, what was that, Reagan? Bush Sr.? I forget. Um, but the market in most cases knows best. 
if the people want something and they want it cheaper, there will be competition that comes out through the market and that leads to better things for individuals. When you start inserting the government into that equation, well, now you've just increased the likelihood of loopholes. And if you've got to now comply with an FCC guideline, but Joe Schmo, little Bobby over here with the Point P podcast, doesn't know necessarily what those guidelines are or how to turn my iPad and my MacBook into an FCC compliant media company. Well, now that's a barrier to entry. So now you've got less voices. All you have are the big voices who have the lawyers and the money to go and create something that complies. That's where you get less voices. Barriers to entry are never good, especially when it comes to freedom of speech. That's just my humble opinion. I don't know what you believe, but that is something I would absolutely welcome some emails info at crossandmusket.com. Let me know what you think um, or message me on Instagram. I don't care, but let me know what you think about that because I, that is something net neutrality, is something I've been kind of on both sides of the fence because I love the anti-monopoly language, but then it's like, do I really want to give the government an inroad to my freedom of speech over the internet? It's, it's a tough one. Um, what I believe the defeat to the air quotes need for net neutrality is an advancement increasing in technological capabilities. And that doesn't come by slashing prices. You don't get a more, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? More, you don't get a more productive R and D department research and development by cutting prices and by limiting the funding available to further research and development. You can have a company that provides internet service at the present quality of internet service for the next 15 years, but that's not what I want. I want my internet company to be constantly trying to find a way to give me a better product, better internet, less um, modem crashing, less hangups. You know, when I'm working on something for work and then bam, all of a sudden my internet craps out, get kicked off the VPN. It's annoying. So I want, I would rather pay a higher price to get a higher quality product. And that, that is something that net neutrality would almost immediately inhibit. I wouldn't be able, there wouldn't be the price gouging or the, the, um, there wouldn't be the price variation. It would be much more level playing field. You get what you can get. And that's not what I want. I want to be able to pay in for a premium service to get better quality if I need it. Um, and that, that is just basic free market principle. Um, honestly, we need to do a series just on net neutrality. It's something I'm working towards, um, to, I don't know, three or four or five part series where, uh, I just present the facts. And if you, if you would direct me to anybody who is knowledgeable on that or who, who is a, you know, somebody who's got kind of a, a stake in that game. I would love to talk to somebody like that. So again, reach out, DM us on uh, Instagram, uh, point B underscore cast, or email me info at crossingmusket.com. The next topic that this leads into is the Great Reset. And I've been talking about the Great Reset. I haven't given a ton of information. I'm still working on really coming to terms with my own understanding of it uh, as far as the key players and the end goal. Um, but what I can say is that the great reset mentality is essentially what is best for all on a global scale. How do we equate the, the, the well-performing American economy and level the playing field between that and a non-existent economy in, you know, the Middle Eastern Africa or South America. And they use language that scares me because, and, and we talked about this, I believe in the last episode, but investment dollars only going to startups that, that line up with a, um, a green new deal type mentality or, or objective toward achieving some sort of climate change centered agenda. And that's a lot of just random words I'm piecing together and I apologize, but they're putting in that health crisis, global anything into 
their objectives. And that and what scares me with Biden's executive orders, he had one that was an executive order about um, the equitable treatment of um, the COVID vaccine, sending it to, to, you know, essentially saying that there are certain demographics, black, Hispanics, minorities that are not receiving the vaccine as easily. Now that can be attributed to racism. If you want to believe in the 1619 type mentality, or you could attribute it to just pure infrastructure, these cities that have good infrastructure, good roads, good um, municipalities, um, a, a local CVS, things like that. It's going to be easier to give those communities the vaccine versus one that barely has a right aid or a circle K on the road. So there's a lot of reasons for that. They would, the, the left, the, the Biden would love to, to blame anything inequitable about anything on race. And then in order to achieve his objectives, you call it a healthcare crisis. And so that is what worries me. And we see that language all over the great reset. I actually just got a book in by, uh, on, not on G pie. Um, shoot. What's his name? Schwab, Klaus Schwab, I believe. And he is the, essentially the creator. He's the mastermind behind the great reset. And he wrote a book. I'm not sure how he wrote it this quickly, but he wrote it in July, 2020 describing how COVID-19 is going to accelerate the great reset efforts. And of course, now that there is a Biden administration, they have even more hope as far as that goes. So before I get too deep into that, I would direct you to the World Economic Economic Forum's website, and I'll put that in the show notes, uh, and look at the Davos Agenda 2021. I did not even know that Davos was an actual thing. I thought that that was purely something fictional from, um, oh shoot. What's the show? I've been freaking been talking about it. Westworld. Um, Davos is, is essentially the, the, the massive oligarchy company with billionaires who are running everybody else's lives. Essentially didn't know that there's actually a place called Davos where these billionaires from around the world meet to say, well, how do we, how do we change the world to, to help the little peons that, that, uh, think they're rich, but they're really just upper middle class. So that's where they're at. Um, so I've got a lot of reading to do about the great reset, but what I'm trying to do and what I would urge you to do is learn about it through their own words, start at the W E F website and go from there because, and I was, I was literally laying in bed with my wife reading about, uh, or flipping through the pages of that book from Klaus Schwab about the great reset. And I was like, babe, the things, you know, I talk sometimes about politics and stuff to her and I assume she's listening to maybe a 10th of it. I don't know, but I, I was saying, Hey, you remember I was telling you about the great reset and how they're going to use COVID-19 as, as basically an, an in to get into everybody's lives using healthcare crisis, global, anything, to, to justify their actions on a global scale. And I'm sure she was like, yeah, yeah, I remember totally. Um, but flipping through that book, just literally just grabbing one page at a time. It was like, Oh my God, there, he is literally saying what they are telling us. They are not trying to do, but that's what they're trying to do. And it's from their own words. So I'm, I'm super excited about that book because Something that I had impressed upon me years ago was to look for original sources. You know, don't read CNN and then ignore all their hyperlinks. Those hyperlinks are there are there for a reason. That's them saying, "Well, this is this is how we can justify this statement," and that's super important because when there are no hyperlinks, then it's just it's just opinion at that point. There's no facts behind it, and so I don't want to come on this podcast and talk to you about my opinion. And then my only backup is a video from some YouTuber or whatever. You know, I want to link to original sources where it's, you know, don't take it from me, take it from them. If I'm going to say something about Biden, I'm going to point you to this article I just read from the New York times where it's the transcript of an interview, um, during the uh, election, um, uh, not primaries, but, before the election, when they're they're still debating and, and all that, um, and it was very damning 
to Biden, I believe. The interviewer actually did a great job. I don't know how I missed that interview, but Biden was extremely tired. You could tell it from his words, and he's extremely frustrated by the types of questions he was being asked. And that's the type of stuff that I want to push y'all towards, not towards, you know, anybody can write an article and put their opinions there and then link to it. And then you're like, oh, wow, well, they're, they're, the document they link to agrees with what, what that they just said. So it must be true, right? That's not the case. So anyways, read up on The Great Reset. If you get the chance, it's not a super expensive book. It's called uh, COVID-19 and The Great Reset, I think. Uh, Klaus Schwab. He looks like the super rich villain who you're just like, oh my God, I thought he was just a, a, somebody's grandpa. Like, no, actually he's slaughtering millions of people. He's the Bond villain that you didn't know was a Bond villain, essentially is what he looks like. Uh, so in closing, um, man, I really thought I was going to end this one around 30 minutes. I, <laughs> I talk too much. Uh, some terms to obsess over, health crisis, global anything. When you see the term global whatever, you got to know, okay, how are they going to turn this from an issue that the, that Europe is dealing with and make it a global issue? Because essentially what that means is global money coming in to solve the problem. And it's going to be a handful of people who are using that global money. And they all seem to be driving G-wagons. Uh, you know, in, anyways, great reset, obviously. Shareholder capitalism is something that I need to be reading up on more. And so do you, uh, it essentially takes a socialist mentality and applies it globally, um, where the individual is obliterated. And instead of caring about shareholders and whoever you're paying dividends to as a business, you got to carry more, care more about what they call stakeholders, um, which is the consumer in their, in their language. And that, they have to worry more about the economy of uh, climate change and social corrections and things like that. And so they're going to start using social scorecards on these businesses. So it's not just what's their stock price doing. It's how do they, how are they pushing these climate change and social change objectives or not? And that's going to be how they receive investment money from these massive investment cash managers like BlackRock, which we talked about last episode and probably the one before that too. Um, a phrase that, that I heard that's important. Uh, it's not a conspiracy theory. If you can identify the conspirators through their own words. And so we've heard a lot about the great reset being, Oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. And yet the people who are working towards a great reset through the world economic forum they're not shying away from using the words, the great reset. And they're definitely not shying away from the fact that they are working to H to achieve a great reset. And they are banking on the Biden administration, helping them in that goal. So, you know, I'm tired of hearing, Oh, that's just a conspiracy theorist. Oh, that's never going to happen. That's far fetched, whatever. Like, well, they don't think it's far fetched. That's like saying that somebody from the middle East is going to come and fly planes into the trade centers in New York here in America. You know, you can call it a conspiracy theory until it happens. But if you had just listened to their own words, they're shouting death to America, death to America, and they're burning American flags. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say, well, I think they want something bad to happen to America and to Israel, uh, the big Satan and the little Satan. So anyways, I'm talking too much. Um, some encouragement I want to leave you with, or at least it was encouraging to me. It, I, I realized one night that these actions that big tech companies, big government players are taking, it doesn't show their power. It doesn't show how powerful they are over our lives at this point. It shows the power they want to flex and they want to become the new norm to where it really is their power. Right now, it's a poker face. Right now, it is a... Um, a bluff. Um man, some of these words are so difficult for me to remember. Um, it is not them showing strength or power. It's a bluff. They got a poker face on. And really to me, what it shows is fear. They are afraid of small voices. I played that video. Um, I think last episode of the one before of CNN, I think Brian Stelzer saying that you've got these YouTube 
media groups that have more daytime viewers than daytime CNN. They have millions of viewers. I think uh, one of them, Stephen Crowder, who's it, it's a small team relative to CNN, and it's supposed to be a comedy show, but they're actually doing real in-depth journalistic work. And their audience numbers are massive, and they're they're beating real news companies like CNN and NBC, ABC, MSNBC, Fox. Maybe not Fox. Fox is still on top. But they're afraid of that because that's that's their power. That's their ability to just do and say whatever they want because now they are part of the minority. And now the majority is becoming people like you and me just using our voices and um, having an audience that reflects with us as, as an individual. You know, I don't need millions of listeners, but if there's a million content creators like me who have a smallish audience that gives power to just the normal American and it takes power away from the big media companies and they're afraid of that and the actions of Google Apple Facebook Twitter it shows that it shows that they're afraid of just the average person like you and me using our resources finding others who have more resources and creating a platform like parlor and then calling them, calling their bluff and them responding by banning our voices. And that, that says a lot. That is an action of fear. So we're good right now. We need to focus on net neutrality and we need to focus on term limits and making sure that our voices cannot be stifled just from fear of, you know, Oh, we need the government to step in to keep us all safe. Um, safety and freedom don't necessarily go hand in hand. So I'll leave you with that. Uh, As normal, I'll remind you, be kind to each other. Be nice to people that you see at the grocery store, people that are driving next to you on the highway. Uh, Read up on the behind the scenes news, not just what CNN's pumping out. uh, And do what what I've done, and I've picked a handful, but I would say at least pick one not so mainstream media outlet, whether it's The Blaze, Daily Wire, or something more left-leaning, I don't care. But make sure it's somebody who doesn't have the time or the financial incentive to lie to you. Um, it doesn't have to be the most polished podcast or polished uh, you know, Instagram TV video, but listen to what they're saying and look at their sources. If they're not giving you sources, well, then you got to ask why. If they're giving you sources, where are they pulling information from? Is this an original source or is this just some other talking head given their opinion and now opinions are being used as basis as fact. And that's just not how it works. Um, beyond that, find a voice that you trust. Yes. Support them. Yes. Subscribe to their channels, you know, subscribe on YouTube and on Twitch or whatever it is that they use to broadcast their voices, support them even financially. But in the end, it's still your voice. Your opinion is yours. Don't let somebody else hijack it. So do your own homework, no matter what, if you Decide, okay, I think this is what I believe because this person said it will still take the time to, to find the sources to back up that opinion before you just subscribe it and slap it on your forehead as this is what I believe um, because your opinion is yours and is important to base it on fact. And, and then the last thing, find a way to be active in your local city council. Uh, many, many of them, including where I'm at here in Bernie, Texas, they're meeting on um, Zoom now. So you don't even have to get dressed. You don't have to get out of your jammy jams. You can just attend your city council meeting. You don't have to ask questions. Just see who is making decisions for your local, you know, who's making decisions locally and who has a voice, who is standing up for, um, for just the average folk. And then who is not and, and make record of that and, and, and decide, wow, I could probably make a better decision than that weirdo just did. Or this person's obviously just making this decision because of, you know, money, uh, but it's not necessarily what's best for the community. Things like that. Start seeing who's doing what. And and then when you feel comfortable, when you feel ready, start taking part and using your own voice to become a leader in your community. Because that's the only way that we can keep our voices is if, and I, and I had a quote about this, um, where's my phone, that I found and I posted it on the Point B podcast Instagram. 
but I'll, I'll read it for you here. I think it's it's something that we can all agree on, I believe. Um, not necessarily something that we've all thought of before, at least not in this way. This is from, uh, it's a quote from Albert Camus, or Camus. I'm not exactly sure who he is. Quote, the only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. And that to me speaks a lot because you can only be silenced as much as you allow yourself to be silenced. And freedom is on the line at this point, I believe. And it's important that we use our voices before we lose them. So do that and uh, use your voice not only to help and support yourself, but to help and support the freedoms of others. Because we saw coming out of World War II, uh, first they came for somebody else and I said nothing. But then when they came for me, there was nobody left to stand. And so it's, it's very important to stand up for the rights of others because at some point, somebody might have to stand up for your own rights. And I'll leave you with that because that's a great way just to live your life, I believe. Uh, be kind to each other and um, be a good human being. And I will see you next time on the Point B Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, check out Cross and Musket Apparel. If you feel so inspired to buy a shirt, that would really help us out. Uh, beyond that, just share these new new episode links on your, on your uh, personal social media pages and with your personal network. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you.